You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Hey, welcome to Spain and Fitz. It's a pre-party. It's a Friday. Giving you a little extra goodness before we uh, start the show today. And then we got a wild weekend of wild card football where I will be uh, mostly on my couch uh, nonstop all day Saturday, Sunday with the excuse of working, which is great. <laughs> uh, I also got to take down my Christmas stuff. I think it's time, Fitz. Is yours, is yours out yet? Oh, no, it's still up. And look, it's not happening this weekend. Like, uh, you know, I've made a real commitment so far and I'm, you know, a few days into eating healthy. So I'm trying to figure out, like, am I going to feel joy by eating carrots for nine hours a day? But either way, there's no way after that many bags of carrots, I'm going to be able to stand up and take down a tree. Or okay, hold on. There's a lot of logic happening there. None of it was none of it was solid logic. But are we going with you don't have the energy or are we going with if your carrots don't bring you joy, then the tree needs to? What, no, what's the angle here? if you eat like 17 pounds of carrots, you're still going to have a food baby, and nobody wants to take down Christmas stuff with a food baby. Okay, so it has nothing to do with the carrots. You would be sitting on your couch overeating regardless, and that would be your excuse for not cleaning Correct. up your Christmas. Okay, Correct. so when do you, do you have a plan for that at any point? Or are we going Christmas right through February? I think Christmas might make it to the Super Bowl this year. Like, wow. it could be the first time. Usually, it's down by now. Usually, well, I'm like, I don't know. Well, you got a fake tree, so it's not, it's not a fire three hazard. Three of them. Uh, you... <laughs> Usually it's already it's already taken down and the Christmas stuff's put away and I'm very uh, I'm always in a rush to get back to normalcy in the house. I don't like a lot of clutter. So I'm the guy that's usually like on the 3rd or 4th of January I'm in but I'm starting by the 10th it's all gone. But now I'm like I don't know, bring me joy, I might keep it up till I don't know, maybe Valentine's Day. Let's see. Let's push wow. the boundaries. Just change Let's make just the alderman change. uncomfortable. You sh- yeah, absolutely. Screw the <laughs> alderman. Uh, but also, that's Jason's neighbor, by the way, prying, prying neighbor alderman. Uh, but also, like, you could, in theory, make a theme of it. It could be a Super Bowl tree with ornaments that are football related. It could be a Valentine's tree with hearts. St. Patrick's Day. Arbor Day is just clean, no ornaments. You're just honoring the tree. There's any number of times that you could really just incorporate this into your house full time if you're too lazy to put it away. Yeah, but then I got to actually take the ornaments off and put them on. Can I just get one of those lights that's a color? Like, I'll just be like, it's a pink light on the tree now. It's a Valentine's Day tree. It seems like that's logical. Uh, Well, my tree was at one point alive, so it's uh, it's definitely a fire hazard at this point. It's alive! It's going to need to go. Uh, I'm pretty pumped about this weekend because... First of all, I, I need to relax. This was a very trying week. There's a lot that happened uh, in our country. You don't say. And, and I like the idea of, like, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I don't have a choice. It's hours of football all day Saturday and hours of football all day Sunday. And, oh, look, the national championship on Monday. Perfect. Um, but in the meantime, I've been trying to fill the post-show evenings with something to take my mind off the news. And I watch a little Bulls basketball, but like the the sports thing, when it gets to the commercial, my mind wanders and I pick up my phone. So I needed something to like just, you know, dive in. And so it was Gilmore Girls reruns, which I'm still working my way through. And it was Death to 2020. Have you heard about this Netflix movie? I saw the, the little preview on it, but I haven't actually watched it. Is it good? Well, so I wouldn't have watched it based solely on the idea of like, why would I want to go back and think about the year we just finished and said good riddance to? Like, is there any part of me that needs to relive it? But there were so many people saying how good it was that I figured, you know, you get that much support, I'm going to give it a shot. And it was hilarious. So it's a mockumentary interviewing people about the year. And it sort of walks you through all these things that you sort of forgot happened. Um, But more so, it's like the jokes come fast and furious. Like, my husband and I literally 
did that thing where we kept looping back because we missed it. And we were like, all right, put your, put your phone down. Like, we're not allowed to, like, be distracted at all. There's a joke every second here. It's got Samuel L. Jackson and Tracy Ullman and Hugh Grant and Lisa Kudrow and Leslie Jones. Like, all these stars. And it is hilarious. And I found it, instead of triggering, extremely cathartic to, to just go back and then have this, like, kind of throughout the, the, the movie. It's just whatever character it is is essentially trolling the stupidity, the bad decisions, the things that happen. Like one of them's like a, like a soccer mom who like talks about how she's not really into the internet. And then she's like, well, except for Twitter and YouTube and Facebook and WhatsApp. And then by the end, she's like explaining all the conspiracy theories that led her to understand that everything is like, uh, you know, like 5G is, a, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like all the different characters represent people and it's, it's really worth watching. You know, it, it reminds me of how similar yet different we are in some ways that, uh, you know, I've also wanted w- to watch funny things, but I find myself gravitating towards inappropriate cartoons rather than anything you do like Big love- Mouth. Like, God, I mean, me and I- me and my co-hosts, Izzy was obsessed with cartoons. I don't know what it is about <laughs> about middle aged men, middle aged men that and their adult we're, cartoons. We're clinging to our youth. <laughs> are you yeah, also there, into there, Bob's a- Big Burger? Oh, oh yeah, Bob's Burger is great. Uh, Bob's but there Burger, was a there's uh, there's a new one called Hoop, and it is I mean it is foul and the language is awful <laughs> and the concepts are terrible and I can't stop watching. Now it might have something to do with whatever I'm partaking in while I'm watching it, but it just makes me laugh really. Wait, so hard, is it so. about hoops? Is it? It's a basketball cartoon. Yeah, it's a it's a guy that's the local high school coach, but his dad was the legend in that town, and dad owns like the big restaurant. And his son is a loser, terrible basketball player, the basketball coach that coaches a bunch of kids that never should be on a basketball team. And he's just an awful individual. So uh, oh, every time he wants I might be into this. I'm to... looking at Jake Johnson and Ron Funches and Natasha Laguerre. Yeah, this yeah. is good. All right. It's a great cast. It's a great cast. It is just, it's alarmingly foul at times. There's a lot of prostitutes in it. <laughs> I'm like, just saying, for a cartoon, like alarmingly a lot of prostitutes. Foul. That's, that's, that's <laughs> right up my alley. Alarmingly foul. Bring it. Especially in a cartoon. It just... Something more special about marrying adorable animation with uh, with foul language. That and you were watching some can't kill David Arquette, and I googled that. Oh, after yeah, you, you can't kill David it. Arquette. Like it, it's I, I didn't about realize, wrestling. I didn't realize that when I turned it up. But you know, back in the early two thousands, he went on to a wrestling promotion to promote a movie, and that that promotion, the WCW, gave him the heavyweight title as one of their written in like moments, you know. And so wrestling fans turned on him and hated him because they thought he got something he didn't earn, right? Like right. that that culture they take it there. Very and so, yeah, it's crazy. And so all these years later, he decides he's going to go out and try and earn the respect. And it is one of, I mean, I, I had to stop it several times. It's disturbing. Like there is a, a, this is all real. Like he got in the ring and uh, accidentally in the process got his neck gashed open. And it was Luke Perry, of all people, that was in the car that helped him save his life. And Yikes. Uh, right before Luke Perry uh, died tragically, right? So uh, like it, 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 it was stunning how I was laughing through it. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of pitiful. And then all of a sudden it was like, I'm uncomfortable watching this. So I went back to my violent cartoons with uh, okay, lots of uh, yeah. terrible Just language. T- toggle back and forth between the two. Interesting family for sure. One of the weirdest things I ever witnessed involved his um, trans sister at uh, metal school on Sunset back when it used to be called metal school, um, Steel Panther. And uh, no. <laughs> I won't get into the details. We're out of time. I'm so sorry. I can't get into the details. Google it. Someone might have written about it. It was interesting. Thanks for listening to the pre-party. Here's the show. 
You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Friday and it's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah is only, what, two days away from watching her beloved Bears in the playoffs. It is going to be a fun night over the course of the next couple hours. Get you caught up and ready for everything, including whatever Sarah's... Like, I just, I envision this incredible, socially distanced, responsible street party that involves thousands (laughs) of people up and down, like, the entire city all wearing Sarah Spain t-shirts and chanting for the Bears. Tell me I'm You're going to be real disappointed then when you find out what's really happening. Okay, we'll get to that in a second, but uh, before we do to any of that, we're going to let the wolf pack grow by one. What's better than doing hours and hours of radio? Adding 30 minutes to it, Mike Golick Jr. going to do that now as he joins us in studio. Mike, thank you so much for the time on this beautiful Friday night, my friend. We appreciate you coming on with us. We wanted you to come on to talk all things football because you and I are going to be doing uh, a little bit of a digital fun. We're we're doing a digital pregame show on Sunday before the Titans-Ravens game. So first and foremost, how excited are you to hang out with me on Sunday morning. Do you want me to answer Great, that question? Thank you. Honestly, <laughs> like it's Sarah. Listen, Sarah knows this all too well, and unfortunately, I do too because I spend most Tuesday nights with you during the college football season when we do rankings. Reaction is: I know two things are going to be true during most normal circumstances with Fitz. Thankfully, socially distance helps me here, but I know I'm going to get some sort of strange outfit, like a wooden bow tie or an entire Christmas suit, and I know he's going to try and hug me way too much. And so, thankfully, the six feet that will separate us will save me from the latter. I don't know about the former. Yeah, you're I'm in trouble. I'm going to spend all weekend working on a six-foot stick somewhere that I can buy so I can poke you the whole show. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I was I was going to expect you to maybe be wearing all Raiders gear, but it probably hurts too much to wear it when they're out and done. Moving on. Mm. Is there an upset you predict this weekend, or you think these are all going to go... Uh, the way of the, the favorite. So we did our picks earlier on Chenae Golik Jr. And I actually, I, I got froggy and I was sitting around a day and I said, <laughs> you know what? Life's too short. I took the Washington football team outright. Wow. I was going to just take them with the points on that one. I think they're getting eight in that game to Tampa Bay, but I just looked and I've heard so much about the way Tom Brady's numbers tend to plummet when he's under pressure. And that's Mm -hmm. even been true down this last stretch of the season where in his final four games, I know it's been career highs on completion percentage and yards and touchdowns, but it's been against teams that aren't going to pressure him. I think it was Atlanta twice, Detroit once, and the Minnesota Vikings, all of whom are outside of Atlanta, dreadful pressure teams going up against this Washington front in a game that could get mucky. I think I'm going to rock with the Washington football team. See, I, I was just telling Sarah, I think it's just my disdain for all things Tom Brady that makes me keep wanting to take it. Now you're talking me into it, and I'm feeling good about it. What about the Colts-Bills? I mean, is there any shot in your mind that maybe we're overhyped on Buffalo? No, I don't think so, just because they've been a really consistent outfit. Like, this has all grown holistically, and we could talk so much about, you know, Josh Allen's completion percentage improving year over year and all these things, but when you look at the other things that they're leaders in the NFL in right now, up near the top, things like play-action pass usage, I think they're up near 33%, a team that throws more than almost anybody and has more success passing on first down than almost anybody, pre-snap motion, they've morphed into a team under Brian Dable on offense that does the things that successful modern offenses do and so I think when you see all that consistency I think it's just too much ultimately for a a team in the Colts that has a great defense I think this Bills offense is battle tested and proven enough to where I'm willing to rock with them this postseason. 
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on a Friday. We're talking to Mike Golick Jr. So we got NFL action. We got college football playoff Monday night. Uh, what do you expect out of that game? And do you think that there's going to be a surprise? Because we've been hearing all these rumblings about the game might get moved, but absolutely no detail on why. It feels like it's got to be Ohio State's end because we saw Saban's daughter tweet and then delete criticism. So what do you think's happening over there with the Buckeyes and, and will it affect the game Monday? Yeah, I, I got to tell you what, I can't imagine anyone I'd like to go home to less than Nick Saban <laughs> after doing a move like that too by the way so thoughts and prayers to them or any media person that had the gall to ask him that question in a press setting which I doubt happened but uh, and I don't think we're going to get any real surprises I think a lot of that was listen this is an Ohio State team that dealt with a bunch of COVID-19 issues as recently as the Big Ten Championship game and so certainly not something that's out of the realm of possibility I don't think we'll get any surprises there and to be honest I don't know if we'll get many surprises in the game either I expect Alabama to win this game maybe closer than expected because Ohio State's D-line looks like every bit of the monsters that we're used to in that Clemson game eating them alive up front I just don't know if anyone's going to be able to score enough points to ultimately keep up with Alabama. You guys want like a really fun fact, fun stat here? Oh, uh, I got this from Stats and Info today. In college football championship history, uh, any time that the underdog is uh, an underdog by seven or more points, they're two and seven in those games. The only two times mm. that a team has won, Ohio State. Oh, Ooh. who do you think delivered the news? By the way, to Saban, like, uh, like which person on staff had to go in and say, "Hey, Nick, your daughter tweeted this." Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to. There's no amount of money. I just go home. I quit my job at that. And you point. think I that just, Cardale tweet made it all the way to Saban, the one that said, "I don't know if you should be wishing for a backup quarterback." You know what happened last time, uh, which was pretty pretty baller. Uh, Michael Luke Jr. is with us here on Spain and Fitz. We got through the football stuff, the important sports stuff, but the the really important stuff is I have a couple questions for you about the Bachelor Bachelorette franchise. Number one, how great is Tasha, and how great was that season? That season was phenomenal. Tasha was exceptional, but I'll say this, Sarah. Obviously, we had to deal with the Claire Crawley mess at the beginning yeah. of that season. Her and yeah. Dale, which was an abomination. Oof. I mean, how is that? That's not real, right? That can't be real. I, I buy none of it. Exactly right. none of it. And I'm glad it's out of our lives forever now at this point. <laughs> but And then you know, we had Tasha come in and really save this entire season. I will say, Sarah, the ending left a lot to be desired for me there. Mm. I felt like it limped to the finish line, but ultimately I leave with a good taste in my mouth about Tasha. We'll see if the relationship can last in all this one. I appreciated the sneaker game that he brought to the table, but definitely saved all of us in a season truly unlike any other. Well, and honestly, I do think there was a very genuine connection between her and Zach, and it felt like it was real the whole time. I didn't like the way they did Ivan, though, because we love Ivan, and it felt like all of a sudden they wanted to introduce the element of religion based on their one-on-one date, and it just felt like she needed a way to let him down easy and then let Ben back in just to keep the drama up but had absolutely no interest in actually pursuing things with Ben. Did you read it that way? I felt like she didn't want to hurt Ivan by stringing him along, so she let him go and brought Ben back and hurt Ben again. Yeah. I think there was a lot of clever editing at the end of this because you're Mm -hmm. right. That was clearly a conversation that took place off camera during the fantasy suite dates in here. I think she made that decision much earlier on than the producers had episodes ready for. And so we had to do some clever finagling, some clever light and smoke and mirrors at the end of that too, as you mentioned, let Ivan down easy and try and just make some sort of heightened drama at the end of this when really, I I think you're right. I think her and Zach were a done deal pretty close to right after fantasy. 100%. 
percent. And absolutely, unfortunately, Fitz, it's just not time for you. Absolutely, you know, the other thing okay. is is the emotional intelligence of Ben was so <laughs> stunted that it, she didn't have the time in her life to get him up to speed. And it was clear that he needs a couple relationships under his belt before he'll be able to express himself in a meaningful way. Speaking of expressing themselves in a meaningful way, what do you think so far about Mike? And what did you think about the ladies and the amount of gravitas they gave to his very brief speech uh, and prayer on night one? Yeah, I feel like the prayer won a lot of people over very quickly Oddly, there. Yeah. yeah, and you know what? Like, to each their own on that one. I'm glad people identified that. I was just more blown away by how tall he was. I have confirmed with Chris Harrison, humble brag, that he is all of <laughs> six seven, six eight going into this one. Incredible length, incredible levers going yeah. into this one. Wingspan mm-hmm. like you read about. Uh, Sarah, I- I've hemmed and hawed about this. Katie, who was, I believe, the contestant that brought a sex toy onto yeah. the red carpet opening yeah. night here. Okay. And I was unsure about it, but then I realized, and Sarah, you know this as well as anybody, the fact that after night one, I remember her name immediately, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. already a win. You want to yeah. go shock, awe, everything you need on that first night in the red carpet to make sure you are remembered. It didn't work out for Goat Feet Girl, rest in power, but it did work out for Katie and her adult friend. Honestly, Goat Feet Girl did not get a fair shot, and Katie, the way she delivered it to me was the winner because it was a it was a joke about quarantine and being alone. Like I think I think she sold it. Although I think she might have gone too far when she interrupted to get some time with him by patting another girl on the shoulder with the aforementioned sex toy. It went too far to me. Yeah, I no, just, it, it was it was going too far. Sarah, um, I think as a general are, are, are rule, we, if you are touched on the shoulder by someone's sex toy, you have to fight them after. You do have to fight them. Yeah. Well, we could get into this so much longer because there's so much to get into with Victoria. Just the incredible PTSD I had from from sororities are we, are we, in upstate New York with that <laughs> accent me, and that queen. Me. Oh my God. Do we have to take a break? Uh, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, home, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and more at Progressive.com. You can hear him every afternoon. This is on, why we don't have uh, a show together. Today <laughs> and Golik Jr. And you can hear him here on Spain and Jr. Because I'm taking the rest of the night <laughs> off after what you two just did. Mike, we appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us and giving us a little extra of your, your time. Have a beautiful Friday, my friend. Thank you, friends. You too, Sarah. Enjoy the weekend with the Bears. See you, Gojo. Also below decks better than The Bachelor. Coming up, who's peaking, plateauing, and plunging as we kick off the NFL playoffs? That's a lot of alliteration. We'll do it all next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Presented by Progressive Insurance. Spain and Fitz is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and obviously this time tomorrow, uh, many of us will be uh, stuffed to the brim and uh, probably a little bit, maybe a little bit drunk as we watch <laughs> a triple header of NFL action, the first of two days of triple headers across the league, Sarah. And it, uh, it has everybody stoked. I think it's going to be a huge and amazing weekend for the NFL. I love that playoff expansion has given us triple headers both days, but it gives us the opportunity to break down a little bit of what we're going to see from a different angle. So let's have some fun doing peaking, plateauing, or plunging. So what we'll do here is we'll go through some of the teams in these matchups and we'll identify which of the P's, peaking, plateauing, or plunging, they are doing as they head into the playoffs. Again, that's a lot of alliteration. I am on fire with this thing they called reading today. I'm doing, you know, I'm I'm impressed with myself. So uh, let's let's start uh, with the first matchup. Uh, We mentioned this earlier with Mike, but we'll start with the Colts-Bills matchup. So let's start with the Colts. In your mind, are the Colts peaking, plateauing, or plunging? I'm going to say plateauing. This is a team that I was surprised actually by their offensive output when I looked back at it for the entirety of the regular season. Um, But I don't know that uh, the last stretch of games proved to me anything other than what I'd already seen, um, which is a high-scoring offense, a good defense, um, and uh, a team that, you know, if they can 
control the clock, if they can really get uh, Jonathan Taylor working, could give the Bills some troubles. But there isn't anything recently that has me thinking that they've gotten significantly better or worse than I already thought they were. So I'm actually going to be a little bit harsher on him than you are. You're right. Jonathan Taylor, I think, has been a delight, and I'm glad to see him have such great opportunities running the ball. But I'm actually going to put the Colts in the plunging category. Mm. Yes, they get a win over the Jags, uh, and the Jags were obviously not playing for much. But before then, they lose to the Steelers in an ugly loss. They barely eke out a win over the Texans. It was far too close for what it should have been. And they beat the Raiders in a game, obviously, I watched closely, that was closer than the final score indicates. So uh, when I look over the course of the last month, they've struggled in games I didn't think they should struggle in. Their defense has been a little more susceptible than I expected. And I still believe that Phillip Rivers isn't good enough to get them far into the playoffs. So I'm actually, although they're close to plateauing, I put them slightly on the plunging portion of this playoff analysis. Whew, wow, look at you. Risky with this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so on let's the take the other side the of the matchup. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the Bills. Scorching. I, I mean, Scorching hot. Right. Peaking, outscoring opponents 230 to like 110 or something in the last four weeks of the season. Uh, this team is hot, hot, hot. And uh, I feel extremely confident um, that, that this team will uh, will win this game. I can't promise you that it's going to be a blowout, though, just because of that Colts defense and just because um, it's been a long time since the Bills have been able to put it all together in the postseason. But I'm going straight up peaking for the Bills. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm also going peaking. And I'll say this. I think the Bills are a heck of a lot closer to the Chiefs at the top of the AFC than they are to the third best team, whoever anybody believes that may be in the AFC. The, mm-hmm. the Bills have played so well down the stretch, and I can't put enough emphasis on that Dolphins game. Miami had everything on the line. They absolutely had to win that game, and the Bills went out and just made <laughs> them look like child's play against a really good Dolphins defense. So uh, they're absolutely peaking. So again, we're going to go peak, plateau, plunge. That's the uh, different line that we're going to take. So let's go over to the NFC here, give a little love there. Uh, we'll go to the Rams, Steelers, matchup so what do you got on the Rams uh Rams Seahawks that is uh sorry yes Rams Seahawks, yeah. Seahawks the Rams to me I'm gonna go plunging I'm gonna go plunging there were moments in the regular season where I found the Rams offense in particular to feel super overwhelming one of those notably uh the game against my Bears in primetime which was a flat-out embarrassment that they never had a shot at um but the Rams defense is good and the Rams um will present problems for the Seahawks because Russell Wilson has struggled against that defense in the past. But overall, the last stretch of the season, you know, eking out a win over the Cardinals with Kyler Murray injured, losing to the Seahawks in in week uh, 16, uh, you know, losing to the Jets. Uh, They did did beat a Patriots team that didn't have much to play for, I don't think, by then. So uh, this team, to me, is absolutely plunging. And that's before you even account for the fact that they might be starting a guy who's played uh, one NFL game. Yeah, and, I agree and, with and you. The quarterback I position. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think they're plunging, and you know, part of that comes from the fact that nothing has looked easy for that offense. Now, part of that is you're right. Like we don't know what we'll get if we get Jared Goff. But uh, as good as that defense might be, that that defense is not good enough in this NFC to help them. I think they're plunging. So the other side of that matchup again is now the Seahawks and. Uh, the Seahawks come into this one 12 and four. They did struggle to beat the 49ers, but I'm still going to put them in the peaking category. I don't feel great about this one. Like I'm a little torn. They might be a little on the plateauish level. Their defense hasn't played necessarily uh, as poorly over the last half of the season, but their offense hasn't been as good as it was earlier. So I, I'm, I'm tempted, but I'm going to put them peaking because it feels like they're a little too good uh, to be plateaued. 
I'm with you on understanding the, the the temptation to go plateauing, but this is a team that we knew at the beginning of the season could get it done offensively. So a little bit of a slip on that side of things, but also finding their balance more offensively, to me, does not offset the incredible gains defensively. The last eight games of the season, they were first in points allowed. They they were giving up 16 points on average per game. Uh, they were allowing a 56 total QBR to opponents. They really figured things out defensively over the last eight games of the season. That was our biggest concern about this team. So, well, like I said, we still have yet to see how Russ fares against an L.A. defense that he doesn't love. I still feel like the Seahawks, as an entity, because of that improved defense, are peaking at the right time. Yeah, okay, so let's go to the next matchup as we continue to break down everything for the weekend, and that gives us Tampa Bay. This one's tough. Tampa Bay against the Washington football team. Uh, where are you on Tampa Bay? Well, it's interesting because the Bucks look like they've been absolutely dominant, putting up big scores coming into this game uh, where you feel like, oh, they've put everything together. But they're beating up on the Falcons and the Lions and the Vikings. So I'm going to go plateauing. I'm tempted to go plunging. But I'm going to go plateauing here for the Bucks, who still have a, a pretty well-rounded approach after uh, making their way through those early fumbles. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said on there. Plateauing is the best way to do it. And who you played matters more than ever in this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's go to the other side of that one. Washington football team, and they sneak into the playoffs. But Sarah, I still think that they're plunging. I, I, we don't know what's going to happen at the quarterback position. And frankly, they're just not all that good. Like I love the defense, but their offense is not good. So I'll put them in plunging. I'm going to go plunging, too. I would have said plateauing simply because, you know, they still made it this far and they were starting to find their way. But with Alex Smith's injury and the question marks at quarterback, I'm going to have to go plunging, too. This is not the right time for there to be any question marks on that side of the ball because the defense can't do it all. So we're, we're saying maybe should, – should we go with Washington? I'm still torn on this one. No, so I mean, on. You just said just they were there. plunging and you picked them. All right, we're yeah, going to have to do the I, second I, half of these games later because I want to sit on this for a second here. You, you just said plunging but also picked them over a team that I believe you said was peaking or plateauing? No, plateauing. Plateauing. Okay. Like plunging can be plateauing. If it's, it's all about the matchups. It's all about the matchups. It is so about the matchups. And I, I, I see why you and Gojo would be tempted to do that because a team that can rush with four, that can get to the quarterback against an aging quarterback whose only kryptonite this year has really been a team that can get that pressure – I see the I see the temptation. I just don't know that a, a hobbled Alex Smith or a Heineke can get them enough points to offset whatever they are going to inevitably allow to a pretty good offense in that Bucks team. That is all great analysis. Plus, it, it was a tuck, and, and uh, there was a fumble. No oh, such man. thing as a tuck. Coming up, we'll remember a legend from the baseball world. We'll do it next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, including our next guest, former big league manager Bobby Valentine, who had a 50-plus year-long relationship with Tommy Lasorda, who passed away at the age of 93. Bobby, thanks so much for giving us some time. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I saw your tweet about your longtime friendship with with Tommy and what a character. I mean, the stories you could tell us, I'm sure, would go on for such a long time. But uh, what's one of the first things that you think of when you think about your friendship with him? Oh, that was never ending, that he was the most loyal person that I ever met in my life, that, uh, you know, he he was married for 70 years uh, to the same wonderful woman. He lived in the same house for the last... 65 years. He was wore the same Dodger blue uniform his entire career. 
And when he met a person, he remembered that person. He remembered their name. He remembered where they are from and what made them important. And, uh, you know, that's what made Tommy really special. I think it's interesting, Bobby. You, you tweeted out, please join all others. The Tommy Touch, send in your photos. He took more photos than anyone that ever lived. Well, what was it about him that made him so warm and welcoming to do that? Well, you know what was amazing? He, was, he, he had that face that was really recognizable. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was ever present. He was always in the public. He was making speeches and he was throwing batting practice and he was uh, at uh, commencement ceremonies and graduation. If people wanted him somewhere, he was there. And, and he was out all the time eating dinner. A lot of people say, yeah, that's because it was free. But, you know, he would take <laughs> other people with him. And so it was like he was buying us dinner, too. And the restaurant always loved it because at the end of the day, there was a photograph that they would put on the wall and, and uh, have the memory of Tommy being at their restaurant. All the customers who came in that night would have a photo with them. And that's like, I really believe. During his life of celebrity, which probably started in uh, the 70s and, and went in, until maybe three or four years ago, when um, all of those years he was always out in public every day, you know, seven, eight, nine hours a day. He was up late at night. And whenever someone was around and they wanted a photo with Tommy, he took it with a smile, and that's why I believe he's the most photographed person in America, if not the world. Bobby Valentine, former big league skipper, a friend of Tommy Lasorda, joins us here on Spain and Fitz to talk about Tommy's passing. This is from afar. I've never met I never met Tommy, but I always kind of imagined him to be a combination of like Yogi Berra and Rodney Dangerfield. It was this larger-than-life <laughs> character, very quotable, very outgoing and friendly. Am I far off there? You no, know, not bad at all, except for, you know, where, where Rodney had the funny side, Tommy definitely had the funny side, and so did Yogi. Yogi had the funny side, but Tommy also was able to uh, inspire and motivate and, and get in front of a microphone, get in front of a group, see, a, see people on the street or even see people, um, you know, on the ball field or um, you know, he, he gave speeches to Notre Dame football team and, and, and Alabama's football team. He gave, he gave the wonderful speeches to the cadets at West Point and to the Naval Academy and the Air Force Academy. And uh, he, he was well recognized in foreign countries, in Japan and all through Asia and Korea and all the Latin American countries. You know, Tommy had a fight with a Cuban batter back in like 1955 today if you walk the streets of miami and and get into a one of the cuban neighborhoods and get any of the old timers and you mentioned tommy lasorda they will tell you about tommy lasorda during the fidel castro days when, Mm. when fidel took over he was a baseball fan and tommy was a great player and a great fighter down in Cuba. So, um, you know, he, he just left his mark. It's really that simple. And the mark was indelible. People always remembered him. We're talking to Bobby Valentine, longtime friend of Tommy Lasorda, who passed away at the age of 93. You know, one of the, the beautiful things, 
probably about baseball fans is how much history matters to them. When historians of baseball look back at Tommy Lasorda, what will his legacy be? Well, obviously, he's a Hall of Famer with 1,599 uh, career wins in, in the major leagues. But um, I think they should think of him as, as a guy who, who changed the culture in baseball. He was the guy that the first guy to embrace players with hugs and and uh, know the, the, the wives' names and the kids' names and make it a family affair rather than treating it like it was the military assignment, which it was uh, treated as before Tommy broke the barrier. He should be the uh, known as the guy who is the ambassador around the world for baseball. You know, he won a world championship or two with the Dodgers. He also won an Olympic gold medal for the country that he loved so much. And no one else has ever done that, along with, you know, Caribbean World Series championships and minor league championships. I mean, the guy, uh, the guy was out to win. The guy was out to develop, and, and he developed winners everywhere he went. Bobby, you were with him when the Dodgers won the World Series with uh, uh, this year. Tell us what it was like to, to be with him and for him to see that before he passed. Well, you know, it was an amazing thing. Uh, you know, the COVID uh, environment was upon us. Tommy was ill. His heart was weak. His doctors didn't want him to travel. Uh, luckily, Warren Lichtenstein, who's a very good friend of Tommy's and uh, has the wherewithal to do special things, uh, convinced the doctor to fly with him on the private plane. He, we had a hotel suite for him where he was isolated. We got him into the suite and everybody who was in the suite had to, had to have their COVID check uh, or test before they got in. So we created a wonderfully safe environment. And then to have him there, as the last manager to win for the Dodgers in 88, to be there and stand to applaud that Dodger team when they won in 2020 was um, as uh, heart-wrenching uh, a scene as I've ever experienced. Uh, he had a tear in his eye, a smile in his, on his face, and he knew that that was going to be the last championship that he, he ever saw. And I think he was very proud and happy to pass the baton to the next world champion manager in Dave Roberts. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Bobby Valentine, former big league skipper, longtime friend of Tommy Lasorda. Uh, before we let you go, I'm curious because what I think of, of when I think of Tommy is first the Dodgers, and then I think sort of baseball ambassador because he became such a celebrity, yes. even off the field in movies and friends with, you know, famous people and, uh, how do you see his role uh, in his many years around the game? Oh, you're so right. You know, I mean, to be on stage and backstage with Frank Sinatra <laughs> and and uh, and and all others uh, who who were named uh, uh, celebrities at the time, to see him in the White House, to see him with emperors and and uh, other leaders from around the world who embraced his presence because. He was Tommy Lasorda. He was the ambassador uh, of baseball, and, and he was the friend to so many people. And, you know, when I talked about those photos, if you don't mind me just saying that, you know, with HTTPS, you know, the slash yeah. org. 
that's where you go. And what we're doing is we're making a, uh, a mosaic, a virtual mosaic of Tommy, where people will send in their photos with him that they have that he took with them uh, around the world. I think we'll collect hundreds of thousands of photographs, and we're making a beautiful mosaic of Tommy with those photographs. And if you touch on any one of the little one of the little um, uh, mosaics within the photograph, your photograph appears. So um, it's hopefully hopefully it's going to be something that will memorialize him, because uh, you know we we're in the COVID state, and we we just can't do justice uh, for his life and to celebrate his life any other way than to have people send in their photographs. Well, that'll be beautiful. I'm looking at the website right now and I'll make sure to retweet your tweet about TommyMosaic.org. Real quick, one last thing. Did you ask him a lot about your managerial career? Did you call him for advice? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, we would talk about games and how it happened and and trades and, and what makes it and what do you do with the star player who's at the end of his career or what do you do with um you know in hell's bells i was managing nolan ryan's 300th win his 5,000 strikeout and he was older than me i had to ask someone for help and so obviously my entire career uh, i leaned on tommy and and his wisdom was was always exactly what i needed Well, we so appreciate you giving us some time, and our thoughts are with you and all the other friends of Tommy who lost him, but what a life, right? Uh, And thanks so much for sharing some of your memories. Yeah, a glorified life, and and thank you for uh, allowing me to share some of the moments. Take care. Bobby Valentine. If you check out Bobby's Twitter, or you can check it out at Sarah Spain. I just retweeted that, uh, TommyMosaic.org, if you want to submit your photo to be a part of it. Coming up, we're going to take a quick look at some of the other headlines that hit today, including an extension for a football coach that has some people scratching their heads. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Friday! It's a football Friday, too. Playoff football. And my team is playing in a playoff football game. And you know what one of the fun things about it is, Fitz, is that um, they're probably no, gonna get I don't smeared. know anything about fun well, things with playoff yeah, games. No, so sorry. Tell me, go ahead. <laughs> um, my, my team's probably going to get smeared, but because the game is also going to be on Nickelodeon, I get to go with the Bears are going to get slimed, which is oh, more fun. That's good. And it just feels like a lighter way to accept the uh, the untimely demise of my of my team. I, do, uh, I will Radio. say, like I I had that uh, sort of piece with a few years ago when the Raiders actually did make the playoffs the one time in the last whatever sixteen years because Carr was injured and they were going with their third string quarterback. Right. I had so much peace watching the game. I was like, yeah, no, we're going to lose, but you know, yeah. at least it's a playoff game. So. If they win, it's like, whoa, what yeah. happened? And if they lose, yeah. they'll be like, yeah, that's that's what I thought was going to happen. Uh, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Call or click today and find out if they could save you hundreds on your car insurance. We'll get back to the NFL wildcard weekend, but a couple other things in the sports world we wanted to get to. And when we have too much to get to and not enough time, we do quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Two days in a row of quickies. Wow. Woo! I'm spent. We're on a roll in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start in college football with some surprising news. Now, if anyone listens to this show regularly, and if you don't, what are you doing with your life? Uh, I chose Michigan as my college football team a couple years ago. I went through a a very lengthy college football bachelorette 
process that even included going on tail dates at a variety of schools. And I settled on Michigan. I like the tradition. I like the vibes. I like the campus. I liked everything about it. I even liked the coach, Jim Harbaugh. And here we are today. Harbaugh reaches an extension to stay the coach at Michigan through 2025. And instead of saying, wow, that's great. I always like that guy. I'm uh, wondering on both ends why they thought this partnership was one that was worth sticking with. Fitz, were you equally as surprised? Yeah, I was surprised to see this from both sides uh, because, frankly, I think Michigan believes that they can be as good as Ohio State, and I don't believe that they can do that with Jim Harbaugh. They've had the opportunity. He, as a recruiter and as a brand, is never going to have more power than he had when he first came uh, to Michigan. Like There was so much hype around it. So if there's this big gap between Ohio State and Michigan, I'm trying to figure out what solves it. But the other part of it is the contract, according to multiple reports, only pays him about $4 million a year, which compared to what many thought would be is staggeringly low with incentives that he's never reached at Michigan that could pay him an additional four million. So, and the buyout is virtually nothing. So it's almost like they put something in place that just sort of keeps him there for now, and we'll just see what happens. But it, it seems like he took less money, and uh, they took less risk to actually try and become a great program. That's the least surprising part, I think, is if they had given him an extension with tons of money and a tough buyout, everyone would have scratched their heads. I think in this case, they both are kind of settling. Right, they're saying it's not been great, but we're not sure if if it's going to get any better. And that's actually what Greg McElroy said today on a show with you. Tell everyone what the show is and where they could see it. College Football Live, the Friday edition on ESPN two every week. I hosted this today. It was at four o'clock. All right. Well, Greg McElroy was on there talking about Harbaugh. Just because they decide, for whatever reason, to part ways, you have to know without a shadow of a doubt the guy that you're going to bring in to replace Jim Harbaugh is in fact better than Jim Harbaugh. And I don't know if they could make that guarantee. There was talks of overtures amongst Matt Campbell and speculation about other people that were interested and potentially interested. But who knows? Ultimately, Jim Harbaugh is a pretty solid coach. Is he a super elite coach in the same era as Ryan Day and Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney? Maybe not. But he's a pretty dang solid coach. So here's my, my, my thought there is he is a good, solid coach. And what does Michigan want to be? Because sometimes fits, I think when people talk about Harbaugh in this program, they kind of mistake the allure for this school with actual success in recent decades. And there there wasn't much in the decades before Harbaugh got there. His ten game uh ten win seasons uh in the first in the first couple years that he was there was really successful. Uh, that was out. Uh, that was outside the norm for a program that is a very storied history, but in the last couple decades hasn't been that great. But the fact that they couldn't beat Ohio State, the fact that they can't win a bowl game, all that other stuff, it's middling. So if it was anyone other than Harbaugh with that price tag and that and that aura, you'd think they'd move on. Especially since part of the reason they were getting him is to recruit, and he hasn't been great at that. I just, it to me, it feels like maybe they didn't want to let him go after a COVID season. But I, it, it makes me feel like their expectations are significantly lower than when they made the splash with the hire years ago. I agree with everything you just said. And Greg actually pointed out on the show also what you mentioned about recruiting. If you're a 20-year-old kid or an 18-year-old kid right now that's talking to Michigan you don't remember when Michigan was great. And so that's got to be part of it. You know, we talk about that all the time with the Knicks. That's the same thing that they're dealing with. Like Harbaugh has to way, has to find a way to make going to Michigan cool for all these kids yep. that want to win a national championship and feel like they can only do it at Bama or Clemson or Ohio State. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going through our quickies. Another quick story that we wanted to get to uh, started brewing last night, but it is continuing. Kyrie Irving not traveling 
with the Nets and not again with the team tonight. He'll miss his second game to a personal issue. And Robert Ory was on the jump today talking about it. I don't want to speculate to what it is, but I still think it's not about just texting your teammates. It's got to text everybody in that front office to let them know because I look at it like this. What if I decide to not, you know what, I don't want to send you a paycheck this week. You know, I, I'll let you know what's going to happen with that, you know. And so he has a responsibility. You know, if I'm his teammate right now, I'm like, dude, you need to call me. Don't text me. I want to hear it out your mouth why you're not showing up because we depend on you and you're one of the leaders of our team. If you're going to sit out, we need to know why. So Fitz. I would say I disagree with half of that. Second half, when when something like what happened this week goes on, and a lot of people are speculating, but we don't know for sure that that's what caused Kyrie to want to step away. And we know he feels things very deeply, and he is incredibly active in social issues, and he is incredibly politically active. If that was too much for him, he doesn't need to articulate to everybody the pain that he's going through. But if he's taking the time to text his teammates, I do think you're better off texting your coach that you're not showing up for your job as a professional, and also because... You are not going to be given the benefit of the doubt the same as some other star who doesn't show up and doesn't text because of the history with Steve Nash, particularly because before the season started, you undermined his authority as a coach. You are adding to the mess that you have by not taking the moment to just text, not going to make it tonight, personal issues. And I know that there are people that will disagree with me that that doesn't need to be top of mind for him. But a whole lot of people still had to go into their jobs and figure things out this week, as tough as it was. I think that little bit would really help him going forward and would help this team. No call, no show is something that gets you fired in so many jobs that normal jobs that people have. I know the NBA is not a normal job, but common decency for the person that you're supposed to have a relationship with that, that runs your team would be to send a, t- a text to a coach and say, hey, I got a lot going on, some personal stuff. I'm not going to make it. Like that, It doesn't take time to do that. It doesn't even have to be top of mind. It's just common decency to the person that leads your locker room. It should be something that you feel that compelled to do, and I can't imagine why he didn't do it. Yeah, and again, I don't want to criticize someone who might be going through a really tough time, and if it's mental health related or if it's simply the overwhelming nature of adding what we saw this week onto you know, centuries of inequality in our country. I don't blame him at all if basketball is not his priority. And in fact, I'm surprised there weren't other players that chose to sit. I just think that unfortunately, because of the history he's got, this is only going to make things even more complicated for that coaching relationship. Coming up, we're going to talk to a friend of ours about a wild card weekend of football. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Friday, everybody. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance and guests join us on the Goodyear hotline, including our next guest. Now, we had a a bit of a rough go of things, uh, not here, but just in general in the country and the world on Wednesday. So we did not welcome any friends uh, like we usually do, which means today, a Friday. It's hi, friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Hi, friends. Say hello to my little friend. He's my friend because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. Alone. Bad. Friend. Good. And we're the best friends that anyone could have. We're the best friends that anyone can have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. You got that. That's right. And one of our favorite friends is Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst. Hi, Fran. Hi, Fran. Big weekend, Mina. 
huge. The Bears, have you seen this team? They are bad. <laughs> uh, they, are, they are not good. Um, you know what? I've Let's heard. make the straight talk because I just brought the straight talk. They are brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Uh, if you had to pick a team, maybe the Rams, the uh, WTFs, the Bears, that might upset their opponent, who would you go with if you had to be forced into picking an underdog? Uh, I would probably go with the Rams. I think second place goes to WFD. Uh, but, uh, you know, t- Ouch. today on NFL Live, we did score predictions, and Ryan Clark and I both had identical predictions for the Seahawks winning 20 to 17. And that game just has 20 to 17 written all over it. Both defenses are better than both offenses. The Rams defense is spectacular. Um, it just it, it, you just know it's one of those games that's going to end with the final drive and maybe Russell Wilson pulls off magic, but you can see a scenario in which Jalen Ramsey prevails. Knock on wood for me personally that that doesn't happen. So I'd, I'd say that's the closest. But, you know, a lot of us went chalk this weekend, um, which, you know, it, it's a bummer because you always want upsets. I, 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 I would have said the Browns before all of the COVID absences and losing their – head coach, and then losing Levy Vernon last week because that was looking like a fun game, but I, I'm taking the Steelers now. So no thought on an upset in the Baltimore-Tennessee game? So uh, thank you for asking about that game. If you're interested you're in watching us call it, it's on ESPN Ooh. Plus or across the ESPN family, um, and I'm a pump because it's a fun game. But the reason why I think the Ravens should, will win is that the Tennessee defense is really bad, like historically bad for a playoff defense, okay? Worst third down, or worst third down conversion percentage, worst pass rush, worst second. I mean, just basically every metric. Most notably, uh, they allow a passer rating of 143 off of play action. So basically, it's for every quarterback to Patrick Mahomes, and here comes the Ravens offense that uses a lot of play action. I think the Titans offense would be able to do a lot of damage, but I just don't trust that defense at all. Yeah, it's an interesting game because you focus so much on Lamar's wheels and Derrick Henry's run game, but in fact, the probable decider in that game, in my opinion, is going to be can the Ravens prevent Tannehill from dinking and donking down yeah. or hitting those deep balls, and can can you know the, the Tennessee team uh, fix their pass defense at least enough to prevent Lamar from taking advantage? And, and that's funny, too, because that's not obviously his strength. But um, mm-hmm. but could be this weekend if, if they. But it's still to be stunning bad. to me, by the way, Sarah, to that end that this defense is that bad. Like Mike Vrabel is is right. he's got a defensive background. Like how did this defense yeah. get so tragically awful so quickly? Well, you know they've had some injuries. Losing Jadavian Clowney midseason really hurt the pass rush. Jayon Brown, uh, the linebacker, is kind of one of the more underrated players in the NFL. By the way, they lost him to the in the Ravens game off of a cut block. So there's a little bit of a revenge factor. As well, Adore Jackson, since coming back from injury, the cornerback has struggled. Um, but it's really across the board for that defense. Now, listen, I thought the Ravens would win last year, so I've been wrong before. And I think the Titans' offense, like I've said, they're really they're one of the best offenses in the NFL. Uh, A.J. Brown is amazing. I just think when you really look at the matchups, Baltimore has the edge. It's Mina Kimes joining us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, that mega cast that Mina mentioned. Any number of options for watching all the games this weekend, and you will be with your NFL live team, Orlovsky, Rutledge, mm-hmm. Spears, for that uh, Titans game? 
Yes, ESPN Plus, guys. And, yeah, we're, we're going to also be joined by some our folks in Las Vegas talking about the gambling side. Um, okay. So it can be gambling, analytics, tape, um, and a lot of fun. I can't wait. Fitz, you got a question for Mina? Well, I thought, I thought you were going to – I did not realize that was the end of your so, question Sorry, I didn't want to monopolize my Fran. Well, that's okay. Uh, so uh, I want to go back to the Washington football team that you guys talked about a minute ago because we had Mike mm-hmm. on earlier, Golick Jr., and, and he said that he picked Washington. And I keep leaning Mina towards doing wow. that just because of the <laughs> – like, look, the two things. One, I just don't like Tom Brady. Number two, this defensive Ooh. line for Washington is so stinking good that maybe it could disrupt it. So am I just putting pieces together? Or when you look at it, is there some path that makes me feel hopeful? Yeah, it could be ugly. I mean, Tom Brady, you know, he's gotten a lot of love over the last month because he's just steamrolled opponents, but he has faced a slate of very easy defenses. Um, And what we've seen this year is he is easily disrupted by pressure and it drastically affects his importance. In fact, his performance, the delta for Brady between when he's pressured and unpressured is bigger than any quarterback in the NFL. Now you've got a Washington front that has Chase Young, but also Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. That absolutely spells trouble. The only issue for me is the Washington offense. Well, you know what I said about the Titans defense? Apply that to the Washington offense. Alex Smith is (laughs) averaging the lowest air yard, not just of any quarterback um, this season, but any quarterback since, I think, 2015. So they they are far from explosive, and they're going to need that defense to score some touchdowns for them. Mina, you already mentioned that you were maybe leaning Cleveland until all of the COVID issues. I'm with you. I thought that Pittsburgh team was – prime for an upset but now with everything going down with the Browns I don't see that happening what about Indy Buffalo Buffalo to me is probably the hottest team coming in combining both how they've played with actually good competition that they've waxed uh but you know there's something to be said for that Colts defense for sure and and, you know the formula for uh, an Indy upset to me relies on two things happening Jonathan Taylor running the smudge out of the ball, as he's been over the last month, keeping Josh Allen off the field. And then the fact that Indy, uh, they have a very, it's almost an old-school defense. They play a ton of cover, two, which happens to be the coverage shell that Josh Allen has struggled against the most this season. Now, that should be considered relatively, because when I say he's struggled, it means he's still been one of the better quarterbacks in football. Um, but... You know, if you were to pick a team that could give him some challenges, it would be this very well-coached Colts defense. You guys have gone all this way, and nobody asked me if the Bears can win. I'm just, I'm just, it's just a fair question. Bears, maybe pull off the upset. You know the formula you want? I, I look yes, at again. Let's like, hear it. Give me hope. Give me hope. Um, Khalil Mack takes over is really the answer, and you know we've seen Drew Brees have some really bad games this year, Sarah. So. To me, the formula is less about what the Bears do and more about Drew Brees having a terrible game, which is a thing that has happened this season and could absolutely happen against the Bears defense. You know another thing that's happened? The Saints losing in spectacularly upsetting fashion in a postseason. Maybe this year the new (laughs) twist on that is not a bad call, but in fact just a bad game against a bad team that they definitely shouldn't lose to. It could happen any given Sunday. That's why you play the game. It's a game of inches. Mina, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Bye, Fran. Appreciate y'all. Bye.
Mia Kimes, you can watch her as part of that mega cast, 8,000 million different ways to watch Wild Card Weekend. This was Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, we get to part two of peaking, plateauing, or plunging in the playoffs. That's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, that's right. It's a Friday. You got Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. A little earlier in the show, we were talking about the wild card weekend in the NFL and which teams were peaking, plateauing, or plunging, i.e. who's looking good heading into this weekend, who's kind of just, you know, Riding the wave, and who's uh, not in a good spot, let's say. Those plunging teams, not in a great spot. Although, occasionally Fitz is picking the plunging teams to perform well in the playoffs, which is odd to me. Uh, but piquing my interest, absolutely. Let's get to the second half of these games. <laughs> you can't put me in a box, sir. You cannot put me in a box. <laughs> the rest of the teams we didn't get to. Let's start with that Baltimore-Tennessee game. So let's take a look at this Ravens team. Peaking, plateauing, or plunging? I'm going to go with peaking a thousand times out of out of a thousand times, right? Like <laughs> the way that they're playing at this point is absolutely incredible. And look, this it's funny to me that the Ravens are a team that everybody was out on for a minute and myself included. I mean, it looked like everything was imploding. Then they had COVID and, it, and suddenly the league had figured them out. Like you think about all the hot takes midway through the season that were just coming in fiery on the Ravens. And then all of a sudden it was like, all right, their backs are against the wall. They're just going to go out there and kick everybody's butt. And that's what they've been doing week in and week out. So uh, I, they're absolutely peaking. I'm going to say peaking, but I'm not going to say it as effusively as you have because I think this is once again a situation wherein we need to look at the opposition. So of the last six games they've played, they had a loss to the Steelers and an eek past the Browns in by far the best game of the season. That was the uh, that was the doo-doo Brown game. You remember that one? <laughs> uh, other than that, they've beaten the Cowboys, the Jags, the Giants, and the Bengals. So this mm. is another team that You're you right. do have to have some concern heading into this postseason game about whether we've been sold a little bit of a false bill of goods on how great they look because of the opponents that they are facing. Keep that in mind, which leads us to their opponent this weekend, the Titans, peaking, plateauing, or plunging. Well, the good news is that the Ravens won't find out anything this week because they're taking on another team that is not as good as I think people think they are. The, the Titans seem to be plunging. And look, I love the Titans offense. I love the Titans offense so much. I think Ryan Tannehill is a reinvented quarterback. Their ability to get huge chunk yardage plays is under talked about. And Derrick Henry might be one of the best two or three players in the NFL. I can say all of those things and at the same time say that their defense is an abomination. I don't know that there's any <laughs> fan base more worried when their defense is on the field on third and 15 than the Titans. They're like, well, we're never going to stop them. So you look across the board, they barely beat a Texans team that had nothing to play for in the last game of the season when they had everything on the line. And that was only a week after they got destroyed by the Packers. They beat the Lions, but that's the Lions. They beat the Jags, and that's the Jags. They lost to the Browns. So uh, I'm looking across the board to the Titans and saying it is plunging. Their offense is great, but their defense is so terrible that I have no faith in that team right now. 
Yeah, I don't even need to repeat any of that because you pretty much nailed it. This is absolutely a plunging team. To your point, Derrick Henry is doing incredible Derrick Henry things. And Tannehill, thankfully, and I was right, uh, I was one of the people who said absolutely give him that deal, absolutely believe he can run it back and do this again. This is not a fluke. And he's been even better. Um, But unfortunately, to your point, the Titans' D is bad and looking worse. They have absolutely no pass rush, and they're terrible in pass coverage. This is not a team that can afford to allow the Ravens' offense to go off in the hopes that they can match it as good as this offense is. Um, yeah, a plunging Titans team that is likely to meet its end uh, this weekend in the wild card round. It's Spain and Fitz. We're doing peaking, plunging, or pateauing. Uh, the Bears and the Saints. <laughs> Let's take a look. Now, if you recall, and I'm not bringing this up for any particular reason right now, but I do want to point out that this is peaking, plateauing, or plunging. This isn't are you bad. Uh, So I just want to remind you that this is not a statement on how good the team is. It's whether for them they are peaking, plateauing, or plunging. What say you about the Chicago Bears? That's actually a really important reminder here because at the very least, I'll say that the Bears are this. I'll say they're uh, they're plateauing. And, you know, the, the loss against the Packers obviously hurt. But if I had to lean one way or the other, I almost lean towards peaking, as weird as that sounds. I mean, they beat the Jags. They beat the Vikings. They just destroyed the Texans before then. They've got some big wins on the on the docket here since Mitchell came back. They've looked much better. I mean, I think I'm not going to say that, to your point, I'm not going to say they're a good team. But I don't think that they're suddenly falling apart. So I'll put them in plateauing. You know what? I just realized since I invented this game, I can change the rules. Yes. So yes. I'm going to go ahead and say that they're plunge towing. Oh. Uh, oh. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Actually, I think they're peak towing, which sounds like camel <laughs> towing, which is too bad. I think they're peak towing because technically for this team that lost six in a row at one point, it is a peak to win three of their last four and to find something on offense that they hadn't, which is a run game. David Montgomery has actually been incredibly useful, and the play calling got shifted over, and Matt Nagy sort of straddling the line of occasionally it looks like he's play calling and sometimes Bill Lazor's getting the nod. But either way, they're adjusting and adapting in a way that that offense looks a lot more successful. Unfortunately, while the offense looks like they're peaking and getting better, the defense is plunging. The Bears' defense has been extremely suspect the last couple weeks and is certainly not the unit of devastation that it was early on. So I'm going to go with peak towing for the Bears. Uh, as for the Saints, Fitz, what say you about them? Uh, I have so many things to say about peak towing, but I really do <laughs> like my job, so I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i wait till the break and I'll tell you my thoughts Sounds on that. Sounds like okay. a creepy thing where a guy like puts his uh, foot in his pants and then zips and like, just the big toe comes out. Is that a thing people do? <laughs> But I'm going to try and talk about the Saints now as quickly as possible. I don't uh, think look, people do that. I'm going to put the Saints. Like, is there a lukewarm feel on peaking? Like, peakish? Peakish. Right, they're I'll feeling peakish. Like, Peaked. They're, they're 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 peaking sort of I, like I don't feel like they're on this great you know they're they're on the great trajectory of awesomeness but but they're they're playing pretty well so I'll put them in peaking. I'm going to say the the Saints are peaking mainly because there was a stretch in the middle there where they were getting by sort of on whatever they could with Taysom Hill as their quarterback. Getting Drew Brees back allows them to right the ship a little bit and and figure out who they are and what they need to do to be a great team again. Um, you saw it in the win against the Vikings. You saw it against the Panthers. They were coming back to normalcy, and for, for that team, that's important because, again, they've gotten so close in recent years, and there's always this disastrous finish. So um, they needed to sort of write that and, and get back to peaking before the playoffs started. Finally, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, by the way. We're doing peaking, plateauing, or plunging. We've got Cleveland and Pittsburgh. What say you of the Browns? 
Yeah, the Browns are plunging. I mean, the Browns are just like this is. I continue to look at last week's win when everything was on the line and they beat Mason Rudolph. Like, let's be real about it. They needed everything in the tank to beat the Steelers last week, and the Steelers had nothing to play for and weren't playing Penn. So, you know, I'm not going to turn around and make that that win something huge, something epic. The Browns do not look good, have not looked good. They can run the ball incredibly well, but above and beyond all of the things that they don't have going into this game, they just haven't been playing all that great. So. I'm I'm sort of out on the Browns. They're, they're plunging. I think it's quite clear that the Browns are plunging, and not necessarily because of their play, because there were a couple games late in the schedule where I thought, okay, they're putting it together. And unfortunately, with the COVID and everything else with Stefanski, like, you have to consider that plunging because they're a team I would have picked in this game, and now I'm not going to. Uh, let's go to the other side of things, the Steelers. I am not going to allow the Browns foibles to reflect where I think the Steelers are. And even though... You could argue they're plateauing more than plunging because they righted the ship with that win against the Colts. I, I still am not sold. So I, th- I think this is a plunging team after the losses to Washington and the Bills and the, and the Bengals. I'm going to say, to back to your earlier point, it's not about how good they are. I think the Steelers are sort of plateauing. I just don't think they're all that good. Yeah. This, this is not going to necessarily be a completely accurate uh, uh, iteration of this meeting because, like we said, the Browns, I think some people are underestimating just how important it is that Kevin Stefanski won't be able to be directing Baker Mayfield in the moment during that game. Uh, not to mention how much we're maybe underselling the the players that are missing to COVID beyond just the head coach um, and the fact that preparation for this game without being able to access their facility and really get out there, um, it's just not going to be the same. Coming up, we're going to get you set for another football game, College Football National Championship, coming up on Monday. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscri- subscribe. Wow, I can't talk to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We give all sorts of extra content. We did a little extra stuff for you there today. So be sure to get out there tonight, subscribe, and give it a listen. Sarah, I don't know if you know this, but there's a football game happening on Monday. I know you're Bears-centered right now, but there's this other game happening it's the College Football National Championship presented by AT&T. That's Alabama versus Ohio State Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, ESPN, and the ESPN app. Also, there's a megacast with 14 presentations of the National Championship game all across the ESPN family, which includes the debut of College Football Playoff Live, the return of the film room. If you're into the Skycam, Mike Golick Jr. and I are going to be doing a Skycam megacast, uh, having a little fun uh, during the game on ESPNU. You can check that out. So uh, we're going to head over now and to get some thoughts from the, from the Goodyear hotline from Trevor Scales. Uh, Trevor Scales, obviously somebody I've worked with a lot in the college football space. We did a digital show together this fall. Uh, we will be working on the pregame show together for the national championship. But Trevor's got bigger news than that. Yeah, that's right. He's part of the new Sports Nation on ESPN Plus starting Monday. Episodes every day at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. T-Scales, thanks for the time, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Congratulations on Sports Nation. You know we are super stoked for you and uh, really happy that you get that opportunity so uh i want to we'll get to the game in a second but we've been talking a lot about harbaugh and as somebody that works so much in college football your reaction to jim harbaugh getting a a new contract is look so first of all thank you all so very much for having me and i appreciate you gassing me up the way that you do every single time you get to introducing (laughs) me so getting that out the way but i am just so befuddled by the move to extend this contract it's not that i am surprised necessarily because I think we're seeing a shift in their mentality of the Michigan Wolverines of that there's a level of complacency and understanding and self-awareness that they may be reaching 
and that they know that they are not going to match the recruiting of the elite of the elite that is Ohio State right there in their own conference. Uh, and with settling into that mentality, that's how you reach a point where you're saying, look, we'll give Harbaugh a few more years to see what we can get out of it. And they're also clearly giving him the benefit of the doubt in this pandemic season, pandemic-driven season, uh, to see if he can explore a little more options and, and get his recruiting base even further extended into the program. Yeah, I, I chose this team a couple years ago to be my sort of secondary college football team since my college team is not able to compete at the highest level. And it's it's been a surprising thing to watch how dis- disappointing it's been without any urgency now. It's, it's not so much to your point. It's not that shocking that they would decide to re-up him. It's more that what it seems to be saying is that with the in- increased incentives and the, and the lower buyout and the lower uh, salary, that they're just kind of okay with being in the middle. That's surprising. Yeah, it is. It is because like when you think about Go Blue and everybody that is a part of that just really loyal fan base, you would assume that those standards that extend from the fan base into maybe the program and all throughout the entirety of the university, uh, that would sort of permeate to a desire for change and a desire for growth. But to your point, yeah, like it looks like they're okay with where they are. If they get back to like, the 10 win seasons, excluding this one, obviously, if they can kind of just establish a resume of still being the big brother over Michigan State uh, and other conference rivals, they'll be okay with not being able to compete with Ohio State, it evidently seems. By the way, I totally feel you on my personal college football team not being able to compete at this level, so I last <laughs> on to Georgia. Feel free to join uh, us as well in mm. your search. <laughs> uh, yeah. Trevor's got this weirdness where he latched on to Georgia, so he gets that pain and suffering. But he went to Harvard where he played, and so he's smart enough to know better. That's the uh, that's the dichotomy that is Trevor Scales. Yes, and that's uh, why we're, we're in the to. same position, because Ivy League teams, no matter how good they are, are not allowed to participate in the college football playoffs. So we have to go look at elsewhere. Yeah, and I've got a Harvard, uh, Harvard grad and a Cornell grad with me. This is not going to go well for me. All right, Trevor, <laughs> uh, speaking of not going to go well, I, I was a little stunned today. I hosted College Football Live, and I kept trying to get the guys to give me some way that Ohio State can slow down Alabama. And the consensus was they simply can't. Alabama will score whenever they want, however they want. Do you see this any other way? I don't, uh, frankly. Like, they're just so overwhelming in a whole lot of different regards. I think they're strongest against the run, right? Like, that is one thing that we have established with them. They have been able to hold opponents to no gain on the FBS best level rate as far as just limiting rushers in between the tackles specifically. But you look at the opposite end of this, like Najee Harris is literally breaking all of those records and breaking uh, a season, an FBS leading 84 tackles over the course of this season. So they are just, in the worst possible way, what their strength is, Alabama's just better at it. And and when it comes to just uh, pressure that they're able to get on Mac Jones, that is uh, something else that they're very good at. Mac Jones is great against pressure. He led FBS in QBR, passing touchdowns, passing yards when he faces pressure. So you're not going to be able to just rattle his cage. You're not going to be able to stop Najee Harris. You're literally just going to have to bank on the fact that your offense is sort of rounded into form at this late portion of the season and – just try to keep up in the track meet that this is inevitably going to become. Trevor Scales with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ahead of the CFP National Championship presented by AT&T. Alabama, Ohio State, Monday night, 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio, ESPN, and the ESPN app. A lot of question marks heading into this game. Besides the question Fitz just asked, how good is Justin Fields going to be physically? 
how much is COVID going to affect this game? We kept hearing maybe that it would be moved. It hasn't been, so that feels like maybe a limited impact. But the fact that there was even a conversation leads me to wonder if guys are going to be out. Um, you know, and and what exactly are we going to see from an Ohio State team that we've only gotten one real good look at, and that was in the semis. You know, Sarah, like the craziest part about like what we were talking about when we were entering the semifinals was everybody was saying, look, I don't know if Ohio State has hit their peak yet and if it's too early in their version of the season for them to hit their peak. My argument to that was like, why wouldn't it be now? Like when you get into the football season grind, by the time you hit week 13, you're just trying to maintain and and struggle to get to that finish line. When you hit that mid-season stride, there's a reason the term mid-season form is like thrown around as a positive thing. That's where they are in the, as far as their body calendar. Seven weeks into this thing, they're starting to say, okay, we got a groove. We feel as though we have been rested in, in essence. And they've got this repetitive nature where they're starting to round in the form and they are becoming their best self, at least offensively. We're talking to Trevor Scales. Again, you can check him out on Sports Nation on ESPN+. Plus. That starts Monday. Got to ask you, as a former running back, there are two great running backs in this game. We've obviously talked a lot about Najee Harris uh, over the course of the entire season for Alabama. But Trey Sermon's been sort of a delight, 524 yards in the last two games. When you watch him run, what do you love about it? Dude, uh, his acceleration and, and balance. We were watching that semifinal game, and I'm convinced and Trey Sermon has the strongest core in all of football, both collegiate and pro, because tacklers would go over the top, right, try to bring him down, and he has a, a way of leaning with whatever force is going into his body and turning it into a, a way of, like, transferring that kinetic energy into a run that's even further than anybody would expect, right? Like, it's a matter of him being able to absorb contact maintain his balance and continue just moving forward, falling forward and creating these massive gains that are completely unexpected. I love watching Trey Sermon just from the sake of when it comes to the teach tape and the clinic that he puts on and being able to maintain and vision when it comes to running the football. By the way, Trevor Trevor just said transferring kinetic energy. I just call it bending. I know. I knew it. I knew you were going to come back on that one. I knew it. you got to be careful with those big words around fits. It'll just jam up a segment. Yesterday I used inelasticity, and we couldn't really get a conversation going again for several minutes. Um, Trevor, you're a part of the reboot of Sports Nation on ESPN Plus starting Monday. Episodes every day at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. You guys are shooting the show very late. You are hanging out with a fun crew, including my guy Taylor Twelman. Uh, tell me about the dynamic of, uh, I assume that you guys have started doing some test runs together. Uh, what's it going to be like? Well, I am the shortest dude on the show, and I proudly claim that. And I will not <laughs> let anybody else get them jokes off before I do. It's kind of like <laughs> a disarming mechanism. Uh, but regardless of that, it is, as you said, a whole lot of fun. I'm used to the late night hustle. We're bringing in Ashley and Taylor into the late night hustle a little bit more. Uh, but they are doing just fine because it does go off the rails. But we welcome that in essence. And you will be able to wake up and see the slight bit of delirium that comes across on camera when you're recording things at 1.30, 2.30 in the morning sometimes. <laughs> Well, you can check it out again starting Monday, every every uh, day, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. It's Trevor Scales, Taylor Twelman, Ashley Brewer. That's the crew of the new Sports Nation on ESPN+. And you can also hang out with us before the national championship game. We'll be hanging out from 6 to 7 p.m. or 7? No, 7 to 8 p.m. Good that I even know my times. 7 to 8 p.m. <laughs> uh, digitally. So, Trevor, my friend, thanks so much for joining us. Congrats on the new show. Uh, stay bendy, brother.
Hey, appreciate <laughs> you, Joe. Y'all stay safe. <laughs> Jay Bendy, bro. Oh, I'm always a professional. All right, coming up, who's going to win in the NFL this weekend? We'll give you our predictions next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Oh, yay! On Spain and Fitz. Wow, you didn't even try there. What? What'd you say? You didn't even try. You, I mean, that was... You, the, that was you, go you ahead. Didn't, show, us, show us how it's done. Sarah. It's Friday! You go full... You go full Oprah on it, and it's really spectacular. I do right? go full Oprah. And you know what? You can see them dancing in the control room because this is a banger. you got to get into the Friday jams. You're not wrong about anything you just said. <laughs> I just... I don't have the same lift this late. It's been a long yeah, day. It's because of a lot the of party talking. voice. We need to talk uh, about that at a different time off the that's air. Fair. That's fair. All right. <laughs> it's the Friday edition of Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, you know what, Sarah? I think we were you know, an American delight, a treasure, really <laughs> a spectacular piece of sports history this year with the way we pick games. Like, we were Ooh, so good. Crushed. I mean, I, I feel almost bad for people that aren't as good as we were this year. So I You know who I feel bad for? Um, us, because neither of us put money on our picks. Yeah, well, I, I tried that for like four and days, and now I'm I done. was like, it's too much. 62 and 21, and you were 63, 19 and 1. What are we doing with ourselves? This is this is remarkable. We're going to take this level of magic, by the way, into the weekend. Well, I figure the best thing we can do is uh, have a little bit of fun and do our six-pack of picks around some playoff action. You in for that? I am ready. Okay, so we got uh, six games. Remarkably, we always do six anyway, right? So uh, we get a little lucky. There are six games over the course of the next uh, two days to talk about. So uh, let's start with our picks with Colts and Bills, we've talked about this game a lot. This is, uh, I think it's a more interesting matchup than some are making it. But uh, as we said earlier, I, I think the Bills are uh, what peaking while the, the Colts are, in my mind, uh, they're plunging. So I'm going to take the Bills in this one. And I think the Bills win, win pretty, it's going to be a nice win for Buffalo. I, as much as I think the Bills are, are, are white hot, there is one part of this game that, that I keep an eye on, and that is the aforementioned running back Jonathan Taylor. The Bills aren't terrible at run defense um but we've seen games where they have given up a ton of yardage and um if if he goes off it could be a little bit a little bit tough for the bills if there are any mistakes offensively so they control the clock uh the Colts do with Taylor they put up enough points and then there's a turnover or something where Josh Allen forgets how to football again I do not think that will be the case Rivers by the way 4-0 in wild card games um so this would be his first loss if the Colts do not come out on top but I do think in the end it won't be a blowout but the Bills will win this game I think the Bills will win this game and in about a week the Colts will start figuring out what they're going to do with the quarterback position next year so next up on our wild card slate we have Rams going against the Seahawks. Now, I was a little surprised earlier because Mina seemed to feel like this one was going to be super close, and I wonder sometimes, I think we all do this, when we are mega fans of a team, do we just sort of talk ourselves into why our team is going to let us down because we're used to it? I think the Seahawks are as good as the Rams' defense is. We have no idea what the Rams' quarterback position is going to be, so I'm not going to trust the Rams to score any points. I think the Seahawks win this, and I think it's comfortable enough that Mina's putting her feet up and checking Twitter halfway through the game. Well, as you mentioned, that Seahawks defense has been the question mark, and they've been significantly better in the last eight games, have allowed the fewest points per game of any team in the league over that eight. They have 10 straight home playoff wins. All of the numbers would point to them being successful, except for the fact that 
Izramidisi say that Russ struggles <laughs> against the Rams. I promise I did not hit the Friday early. I'm just very tired. Um, Russ has that. one passing touchdown and three interceptions against the Rams in the three games since they acquired Jalen Ramsey. If Ramsey goes off and has a day, he can make things really tough for Russell Wilson. Unfortunately, on the opposite side of the ball for the Rams, there's just too many question marks at quarterback. You either have a, a inconsistent already Goff, who's not healthy, or you have Wolford, who would be just the fourth, I believe, quarterback to start a playoff game after having one or fewer career regular season starts. That's not a number you want to go with. Every guy before him, by the way, uh, has lost that game. So I'm going Seahawks. Shocking. All right, so let's get to the, the, the game that I've been talking a lot of smack about. This is the time where I can actually put it on the line. Tampa Bay taking on the Washington <laughs> football team. I ha- you know, like the, the thing of it is, it? I, I, I can't, I can't, I'm scared. This is where I'm scared. I'm scared because our pick it? record is so close. Me getting all <laughs> willy nilly on this could be the difference here. I can't do that. I got to go with Tom. Oh, Tampa Bay is going to beat the Washington football team, but I do think it's going to be an ugly sloppy game. And I think that we're going to see a lot of the offensive things around Tampa Bay that people have been falling in love with over the last month, really be exposed here. This is a better defense for the Washington football team than a lot of people realize that haven't watched much of them because they haven't been worth watching as a team overall this year at times that defensive line is spectacular they've beaten themselves they, they built themselves I should say like the 49ers have they've got a great front four that can get after you I, I think they're gonna they're gonna give Tom a ton of problems but Tom's gonna win I agree with you on all of that I do not think this will be a runaway win for a Bucks team that started out slow got so hot that people were talking about them as you know, one of the greatest ever in DVOA, and look at this team go, and they figured it all out, and then they started slumping again. And they played well, but they played well against bad teams, which leaves you to question exactly how good they are. And against a team that's at least built to give Tom Brady fits and make things tough for him by rushing four and pressuring him, uh, this is going to be a lot more interesting than you would think. Also, keep in mind, there have been, in the times that sub-500 teams have made the postseason, there have been a number of meaningful games where the losing team, the team that comes in with a losing record, has won. The Seahawks were one of those uh, just a couple years ago, if you remember. Um, So it's not completely out of the question, but I do think in the end it's the problem is that they just won't be able to get enough on offense on the Washington football side with the injury to Alex Smith. So I'm picking the Bucks. All right, let's get over to the first game on Sunday. Baltimore taking on Tennessee. Again, Mike and I will be joining Field Yates for a little pregame action at 1230 on the ESPN app. Uh, this one, to me, comes down to how tragically bad the Titans' uh, defense is. I love that Titans' offense. doesn't matter. Their defense is so bad, it's too much of a liability for me to think they can win a game in the playoffs with it. Uh, Lamar Jackson is going to have success <gasps> throwing the ball in this Ooh. game, and I think that's why the Ravens are going to win. Titans gave up 36 touchdowns through the air this season, which is tied for the most ever by a team that ended up in the playoffs. In the meantime, Lamar Jackson completed 67.8% of his passes in the in the red zone, 19 touchdowns, no interceptions in the red zone with almost 70% passing. This is a matchup that's not going to go well for the Titans, even though I think the inconsistencies from both teams makes this probably the toughest one to pick for me. I think the Ravens should win, but... Between the playoff disappointments they've had and the inconsistencies they've had, this one will be very close, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Titans win. I'm still taking the Ravens. All right. Are we both taking the, the Steelers to beat Cleveland here? Like, it's a shorthanded Cleveland team. I am, team. unfortunately, yes. Okay. I think we both agree on that one. So let's save the best one for last. <laughs> 
Uh, look, I'm I'm not going to pick the Bears to win. I'm going to pick We're the gonna Saints. We're going to make all the same picks. This is oh, no did fun. we make all the same picks? <laughs> oh, that's yeah. not even fun. But you know what? And we we basically went, uh, this is as boring as could be. We went the same <laughs> way on everything. Uh, look, I would love to find a scenario. I mean, Mina said it earlier. Khalil Mack has to be lights out. Well, if there's any player that can be, it's him. So maybe there's hope. Uh, there's probably not hope, uh, but I will say that I'm excited to watch. My plan is not special. Uh, you and I actually chipped in to buy uh, 30 Chicagoans some wings from my favorite spot, the 50-50, to make their game day a little bit better. So I'm going to settle in with not wings, since I can't eat them anymore because I'm a vegetarian, which is a real loss because they're amazing. Settle in with some fake chicken and a whole spread and some drinks, and I'm just going to be home. There will not be a thousand-person socially distanced outdoor event. I did at one point consider a screen in my backyard, but I figured, let's just keep it simple, man. Let's keep it simple and watch him get slimed all by my lonesome. Yeah, I, look, I'm a big fan of watching playoff games without anybody around because I've learned about my friends over the years when I have had that rare opportunity I need better friends. That's what I learned. All right, coming up, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. We appreciate you hanging out with us. Sarah, enjoy the weekend of the Bears in the playoffs. I don't know what that even feels like. Y'all have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.